Hello and welcome back. This is the Wheel Talk Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey and I'm here with Lauren Rowney to talk about the Love Welta, the the Love Welta, Love Welta Femidina. And we have a really special guest with us today, Amanda Spratt, all the way from Spain, about to start the race, here to talk with us about the race itself. <laughs> Amazing. No, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Just sitting in my hotel room waiting for a massage and team presentation tonight, so it's all happening. So exciting. Um, I do have a one gripe with this race, and that's that it's the day before the race, and I mean, I guess I haven't checked. It's 6.30 in the morning, so I haven't checked yet, but... As of last night, there was still no complete start list. And when I write the previews, it makes it a lot more difficult. So I think I am on one of the websites. I won't say which one. And it looks like it's it's it looks like it's complete oh, now because I, I had to have a little look. I'll, I'll update my yeah. I'll update yeah. my preview later. Um. Anyway, so yeah, we're here to talk about to talk about Love Welta Feminina, and we have a couple. Questions from listeners, questions for Spratty as well. But what do you think, Lauren? Should we talk first about the route and then kind of get into the, the riders to watch? Should we fire up some question firsts? It's, I'm just so excited that we got Amanda on here. I, I think let's, let's go into the courses here because, I mean, it's, it's been a talking point for a few years now how, how this race is gradually built up to what it is. So I'm curious to, to hear from Spratty how excited the women's peloton is about having another grand tour on on the program and how they also feel about them being back-to-back in the sense it's May, June, July. And when I was talking to my partner about it, he's like, that's crazy. How can they do that? Um, but that said, they are week-long tours, so I, I'm curious to gauge how the peloton feels about that. You do have riders who are going to tackle all three and Amik Van Vluden, for one, um, who I'm guessing is aspiring to win all three. Um, and, yeah, just your perspective on that. I guess we could start there maybe. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think there's a lot of excitement actually that the Vuelta is now considered a grand tour or moved to that sort of seven days. And I think for sure within the peloton, I think it's kind of like about time that, it, that you know, it, yeah, it has progressed to this point and it's something that we really want. In terms of what you're saying around, you know, May, June, July, having three tours back to back, I don't think that's really an issue from our perspective. I think the the bigger thing maybe we'd want to change is the fact that the Giro and the uh, the Tour de France are both in July. That's something that maybe could potentially change in future years, and maybe when the Giro is getting taken over by the RCS, and there's sort of rumor that that could change to after the men's Giro. So maybe then it could turn into a our Giro after the men's Giro, then same like with the Tour de France and then same with the Volta. Maybe that would be a nicer a nicer setup. But in terms of just having the Volta now and looking at the courses, it's a really nice course too, quite similar to the, the Tour de France where we really won't know the winner until the final. So I think they've actually created a really exciting course, which is really um, exciting for us. Um, and probably the other main point is it's just maybe a bit weird because normally everyone finishes the classics and then it's like, whew, time to breathe, let's have a break, go for a holiday, <laughs> it's like all rest. And now it was sort of like you finish the age and then it's like, okay, uh, brain still needs to switch on, stay on. We've got this grand tour coming up in sort of five days. Like we had three and a half days at home and then flew into Spain. So that's probably been the biggest challenge in terms of mindset and just remembering you actually can't rest now. Um, we've got a, a huge tour coming up. So it'll be really interesting how that sort of impacts the races and the riders and who's fresher, who's sort of ready to take a break or maybe they're 
mentally they're still there, but their body's just tired. So I think that's going to be really, really interesting to see. There's so many segues we could go in here, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah there off, are. Off the back of what Spratty just said. <laughs> I think uh, for me, one of the most interesting things now, like looking back on the Spring Classics and looking ahead to the Vuelta, is that there there was such a clear um, like split of teams of riders that did the the Cobbley Classics and riders that did the Ardennes. And I didn't really notice because it's so normal on the men's side for that to be the case. I didn't really notice that it happened this year on the women's side, and a lot of the riders that did the Ardennes are now going into La Vuelta. Like, Demi didn't race really at all for a while and is now obviously on really good form going into La Vuelta. Spratty, you didn't really race much coming up into the Ardennes except for the obvious ones, the the hillier ones, and now going into this. Do you feel like you like the Ardennes were a little bit of Obviously, big races, but prep for La Vuelta in a way? Yeah, like it's definitely been different and you're spot on with what you're saying. I know I spoke to some other riders like Mavi Garcia and Anis Antestaban to name a couple who also sort of missed more of those races with an eye to be fresher for, I mean, they're both Spanish riders, so the Vuelta's really big for them, but to be fresher for, for this period. So a lot of riders were sort of at altitude as well in that period before Flam and then stepped in then and started racing so certainly for me there was that conversation around okay do we do the cobble classics so at first yes i did some and then in the end we said okay no we prefer that you come in fresher for that for the ardennes period and then into the Volta. um and i definitely in the end i felt like each of the ardennes classics i was getting better i was getting better the first one was a bit of a shock to be honest and then sort of rode my way into it so i feel like personally like the form's coming up so I think we'll see that with we hit the tours and then it's, as I said it's seven days of really hard racing so then we'll see who's sort of coming a bit fresher but I think that's the way it's going to go in, in years to come as teams get bigger and rosters get bigger we will see a bit more of that natural riders becoming a bit more specialized like it hasn't quite happened yet you still see some climbers really wanting to do mm-hmm. Rebay <laughs> they just can't help themselves but I think within a couple of years then we'll see a lot more specialty. No, I was going to say on that topic, I mean, I guess if we go through the start list, should we start with um, how it looks like SD Works have a couple of the same names, but now a few names are coming into the fold here. And um, Spratty, over the, the spring period, they were obviously very dominant, a very big talking point. Um, every single race, it was hard not to pick one of the riders to be one of the winners. How do you feel now going into this next block where we're, we're going to have tour after tour after tour? Um, looking at the composition of SD Works, do you think they'll still be that same level of dominance? Yeah, I mean, I think there's no doubt they've been the team of the classics. Um, it's been pretty incredible, to be honest, how many races they've won and the one twos and pretty much getting two on the podium in every classic they've been on the podium in um, or one. So I think for sure they're going to the next period as the favourites. I know like Debbie Vollering and Marlon Russo, they're doing all the Spanish races like Vuelta, Itzulia and Burgos. So that's going to be a huge program within 21 days, 14, 15 days of racing. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how they cope um, with all of that. But I feel like with the tour racing, it does open up more opportunities and, um, yeah, we've seen in the past, for example, Trek's been really strong in the tours and other teams can really come to the fore as well in the tours. So, I don't think they'll have the same level of dominance. I think we'll see different riders getting opportunities. Uh, and I think SD Works have been quite open that Demi and Neil Fisher-Black are the sort of their leaders for the Vuelta, which is nice to 
see Neve get that opportunity too. I thought in Liège she looked like she's really starting to to come back and, and be right there at the front. So I think that's a great opportunity for her as well. So yeah, hopefully also the younger riders are getting that chance as well. Yeah, for sure. I I think it's really interesting that I think it's really interesting that Marlon Rusa is on their roster as well. I, I think like she's. Her climbing has come along really, really well in the last, I don't know, couple months, and I'm excited to see what she can do. I'm going to segue us away from the start list and talk about the stages first, because Marlon Rusa, great segue into the TTT, which will start off the race. Um, <laughs> a nice little, like, easy, easy first stage for you guys. TTT is always great. <laughs> it is really short, 14.5K. That's, that's a very short TTT. <laughs> Look, I mean, it sounds short when you just say it out loud, but when you're in the race, then <laughs> it's going to be hell. I mean, it's funny. It's like, it's the one race I get the most nervous for in like a whole season. I think a lot of riders can relate to it. It's just like, you want to do a good job. You don't want to let the team down. You don't want to do something stupid. Um, I don't know. You just, there's that next level of pressure and it's certainly, you're starting mm-hmm. off the tour that way. And, and there are not a lot of, I, yeah, like it's going to be an interesting TTT in that I don't think there's like a really clear favorite team and a lot of riders maybe have like three really strong time trials and then like like not as strong riders and GC is really important so you don't want to drop your GC riders so I think it's going to be quite an interesting dynamic and it's quite technical it's flat and there's 14 or 15 corners within the course as well so it's really going to be about I don't think it's going to feel nice for any team. Like, no team's going to finish and be like, oh, that was so smooth. Like, we did a great job. Like, I think it's going to be messy and we're going to have to expect it's not going to feel like a really nice one where you have nice long straights to get into rhythm. And um, and it's in the centre of the city. So, mm. I mean, we were going to go and do recon there and, yeah, our director said, yeah, cancel the recon. Like, it's we can probably ride around it, but there's traffic lights, it's traffic. Like, we just, it, well, in the end, it, we did, went and did just team time trolling on on another road so all the teams are only going to get to sort of ride it for the first time an hour or so before the event so um yeah and again as i said coming straight off the classics no one's really had the chance to train the team's time trial so yeah it's going to be interesting is it like a bit of a love-hate relationship with it because like it's a one event where unless you win the team's classification you can all stand up there together but at the same time, like you said, if you haven't really practiced it, day one of a tour, quite often that's always the nice way to ride into a stage race, but it's like straight off the bat, bam. Um, and if your legs aren't feeling amazing, that can be detrimental actually to, you know, being a contender for the GC, for example. Yeah, there's definitely love-hate there. But I think more love in, in the fact that, yeah, you really want to fight for that podium together. And as you said, we were only having the discussion yesterday about how amazing it would be to every time you get a podium that the whole team gets up there and how that's really hard to explain to people that don't know cycling how much of a team sport it is trying to explain that sitting on my teammates wheel and if they go up the front then this helps me so I think also in the team's time trial it's really clear to see how much of a team event is and and everyone puts into that uh and everyone always says it's not about having the strongest individual riders it's what you can do as a as a team and and for us, we're looking at the speed and, and keeping that speed as constant as possible is the most important thing in the team's time trial. So, 
I think it's really amazing at the finish when you can really fight for that podium and then stand on the podium. And for me, that's what also makes it really special. This is also such a weird, weird event. No, nope, no, Lauren, I'm cutting you off. <laughs> this is also, <laughs> this is also such a weird event because it's there's only like one on the calendar. I mean, there used to be the Vigarda West Sweden TTT that was a standalone with a with a separate road race later on in the season, but obviously that's canceled for this year and. There's not any other World Tour TTT on this on the start on the season. Blah. There's not any other World Tour TTT so far this season. The Giro hasn't announced their route yet, um, and a couple other races haven't as well. But it's it's like a dying event, which is kind of a bummer. Obviously, they took it out of the world uh, the World Championships, and now we have the mixed relay thing instead. But this was always such a special event for teams because it was the only world championship jersey that you could fight for as a trade team and I feel like there's there's like this there's one of the questions that we got from from listeners about um the next generation coming up and I feel like there's this generation of riders that the three of us fall into that like really love the TTT and like hold it as this very special event that is a like a fully team effort that you get to celebrate as a team or lose as a team. And it's, it's weird. I, I, I love the TTT. I think it's just like so special. I did it in college and the, the training was just like brutal, but it's, it's also like you get barely any opportunities to practice together as a team. I know you guys went in a couple days early so that you had an opportunity to ride together as a team and Movistar did the same and I'm sure other teams did the same, but it's, it seems like it's a little bit of a dying specialty thing that didn't make sense you know what I meant (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know I like yeah I totally agree it's an event as a love and hate but I really think it has value in there and we're also saying as I said it's the one event where you can stand on the podium all as a team and I mean we're employed by our pro teams and we race together all year with our pro teams and yeah for sure then we go to worlds and then all of a sudden you're enemies with your your (laughs) biggest teammates almost so yeah it is it was always that event where you could actually fight for a world title with the riders that you race with the the whole season and the riders that you're killing yourself for or they're killing themselves for you or yeah that that you're spending so much time with so I think from that perspective too it would be really nice to see more more of them on the on the calendar in the tours I mean maybe a natural progression as we get more tours and, and more races we will see more of that that come back um it's certainly a shame like the sweden race has been cancelled that was always sort of one guaranteed team's time trial every year that everyone looked forward to so hopefully the tours we get a few more of them all right should we talk about stage two lauren you wanted to give your favorites for the ttd do you want to do that <laughs> i feel like it's it's the first three teams in the start list yeah. movie star sd works and track segafredo oh good i'm glad you said out there <laughs> That would have been awkward. Ready to give you the evil eyes. (laughs) 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 But for me, Canyon Shram Shram is an interesting team as well. I think they could be sort of a dark horse. It would be interesting to see how Chloe Daggett comes back into the lineup. And Agneska Skownia, truck rider. So Chabby also, you know, how fast she is around the corners. Maybe she'll be too fast for the team. But I think for me, they could be the dark horse. How is Roy Ackers, though, in a TTT? I think she just needs to hold on. Like, she just needs to, they just need to put her on the back. Hold the last wheel? Hold the last wheel through all the corners, yeah. 
Because she just needs to not lose yeah, any time. That was going to be a talking point for me is, no. um, you know, how later. You're getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> I am, as usual. <laughs> Stage <laughs> two doesn't hurt. <laughs> okay, so stage two is uh, on the shorter side as well, 105.8 kilometers. And it's pretty flat until you get to the final 20-ish K. There's a category four climb. It's not too long, 7.6 kilometers. That's relatively long, but 1.2% average. It kind of pitches and uh, and dips throughout the climb and then descends to the finish. This is an interesting one because that climb, I don't think is going to impact the Peloton hugely. And I feel like there's so limited sprint opportunities that this is going to be a stage where teams are going to really try to hold it together for the sprinters. And maybe like some of the teams with sprinters that are also relatively good climbers like I guess I would put Emma Norsgaard into that although I'm not sure we're not sure how she's riding as she just is coming back from a broken collarbone um who can who can sprint against everyone but the fastest does that make sense so I I was looking at this stage and I think it's really interesting because I don't I just don't know how this one's gonna shake out what do you guys think I think normally the first road stage, if there's a sniff of a sprint, then normally it is a sprint because everyone's a bit fresher. The sprinters are fresher. They haven't had to do too many climbs yet. And I think especially for a team like DSM, who are with, here with Charlotte Cool, they're really good at being disciplined when there's a sort of a sprint opportunity like that. So I think, yeah, they'll for sure be keen for a sprint, like live racing with Barbieri. Uh, if she can get over the climbs, it will be another really good option. So I think... I agree with you that this is probably the one stage where it really is more of a guaranteed sprint than, than the other stages. Yeah, I agree with, with both of you, with Spratty. Um, and for the GC teams with just ambitions of targeting the GC, it's nicer to have an easier ride um, on the first road stage because the, the back end of this tour is quite heavy. Yeah, it's and then, I mean, stage three, you kind of go straight into another really flat stage, but it's 157.8 kilometers. So it really kicks up in terms of kilometers covered. And it's it's pretty much just flat. There's like a little bit of a gradual, really long climb in the very beginning of the stage, but it's flat all the way to the finish. I said for this one that... For me, I'm torn. It could either be a sprint stage, which I think is probably more likely, but I remember the really long stage at the the 165-kilometer stage at the Giro that Lizzie Banks won because it was just so mm. long that everyone, I don't know, it, it seemed like people just kind of checked out because it was so much <laughs> riding. Um, that was in 2020. Um, so I said that mm-hmm. this one, like, there's a there's a slight possibility that there could be a breakaway that takes this stage, but it's also the, after this stage, there's really no sprinting opportunities at all. So I think it's probably more likely it's a sprint, but yeah, a little bit torn for this one. The thing, the thing with, um, with this region of Spain, it's uh, a bit famous for crosswind sections and whilst it may, well, it is flat, um, it's more than just flat. I think there are a lot of open sections. So I think if it's a windy day, then there'll be a lot of nervous GC riders and a lot of excited cross-windy riders. Um, so, yeah, th- I think that has the potential to sort of split and change the outcome of the stage. Um, if there's no wind, then, yeah, 
I see it more as a bonus sprint. Do you, so Spratty, if there is wind, do you see it as an opportunity for the stronger teams with GC riders who are really capable of riding in the wind? I think we saw at UAE, was it Lippert who got caught out, Abby? one of the, the GC contenders, and that completely messed up her, her opportunity in the end because she just lost simply too much time. So even though it's just stage three and there's big stages to come, as a team, are you always looking for those opportunities to make gains? Because we simply don't know, for example, I mean, Adamique Van Fluten has come out and said that she hasn't had the spring she wanted, but then again, we haven't had these big mountain climbs. And you know better than anyone else on this call, what it's like to be a teammate of Anamique and um, just her preparation and what she can do, particularly at the end of a long a long tour. Yeah, I think, yeah, you have to take any opportunity you can. And, and for sure, if there's an opportunity and wind and you see the opportunity to split it and GC riders are on the wrong side of that, then, then yeah, for sure, we're going to go for it and take that opportunity. And as you said, like, Maybe Anamik hasn't had the spring she wanted, but I mean, <laughs> I would Anamique. never, like, it's, it's Anamik. It's the same at Worlds last year when she has a broken elbow and the journalist asked me, do you think she's going to race? And the answer is if it's anyone else knows that it's Anamik, so probably yes. Um, and I just think, like, the tours, they're, they're different to the one-day classics. Maybe she's lost a little bit of that punch, but mm -hmm. in terms of the tr amount of training she can put in the legs, the racing the distance the day after day after day and the fact that we will get into it soon I guess on the last stage is how heavy they are I think that's really going to suit her so I mean I expect Anami to be fighting there for the win yeah I think the fact that the that all the really hard stages are back-ended in the tour means that yeah she's got her written all over yeah, it she, she loves that yeah <laughs> you know Movistar Movistar Spanish race I'm sure they they uh, had something to do with it no I'm joking yeah. <laughs> so we get like straight into the hillier stages on stage four which i feel like for me this looks like one of the most exciting stages to watch because there's this uh, category three climb pretty close to the finish and then it descends to the finish it kind of climbs and then plateaus and then descends to the finish four kilometers 4.9 percent average with some steeper parts in there so i feel like this one is a really exciting one for someone like Kashini Wadoma, who's who loves those descents and is a little bit more scrappy when it comes to kind of finding opportunities. And so this one, I think, is when we get into the real exciting racing. Not that sprinting isn't exciting, but into the really, really exciting racing with the GC favorites that maybe aren't going to be looking forward as much to the big climbs on stage seven. Yeah, I think so. And also like a rider like Mariana Voss, who's here, um, this is the kind of stage that I see really where she could she could do a really good job. I mean, she's not going to be the absolute fastest in a bunch sprint, but she, we know she can also get over that climb and then probably be the fastest of the ones that are still there if it's a small group. So I, I really see this is a stage that someone like Voss would, would target and Jumbo Visma. Could be a good one for Persico too. Very true. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm, what I'm curious about is, like, how the GC fight goes on this day because I feel like I it's it's a long shot that somebody gets off the front on that climb or is able to kind of get any kind of separation from the GC favorites and get some time at the finish. But there's also riders that will want to take any time that they possibly can before the mountains that aren't going to be able to hang on those climbs or aren't going to be able to get any time on those climbs. And so I think that this one, yeah, this one seems really exciting to me. Just like a lot of unknowns, but um, the potential to be 
I think like more like stage four of the Giro last year where everybody was like, oh, this looks like a really exciting breakaway day or something like that. And then Anamik and Mavi Garcia were like, no, <laughs> this is our day. <laughs> then it went, it went kaboom on the first five and it was like, all oh, right, okay. This is a juicy day now. <laughs> yeah, that stage and also stage six for me look like, look like reminiscent of, uh, of the Giro stage four last year a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. But between that, we've got stage five, which is the first mountaintop of two. It finishes on a category two climb and there's a category one in the first third of the race. So this one looks like the first real general classification fight on stage five, 129.2 kilometers. The category two climb is like relatively gradual, but there's pitches of 13% on both of the climbs. They're both pretty long too. So this one's going to be definitely the first GC fight. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and I think it's also actually up quite high at altitude as well. So the first one, yeah, it's around 10 kilometres and it goes up to almost 1,800 metres. And then it's quite a technical downhill and then a bit more flat. And then we have about 5, 6K up to the finish. Not quite as high, but I think for sure this could this could have an impact, especially that first time if it's raced really hard in terms of the people that can manage that higher altitude and who can't. It's not crazy high, but if you haven't done any altitude or more than others, but for sure, I think we're going to see big splits up that final that final climb, and I expect that yeah, it'll be a big battle to the finish. What's the reconnaissance been like for for this tour for your teams, Brody? Yeah, actually, uh, quite different to normal in the fact that I think the route was announced, and then we went almost into the classics, and so. I'd say for us and honestly for a lot of teams, we haven't had the chance to actually go and recon anything in person. Um, we have a director on check, Marco Iritsa, who lives in the, the Basque area. So he's been able to look at a few stages for us. So um, we have that sort of intel. But in terms of actually going there and uh, riding the courses, which normally we would like to have done for some of those key stages, we just we just haven't had the chance to do that. So. We're relying a lot on VeloViewer, which we use a lot for the, the courses, um, which gives us a really good overview of what's coming. We can street view, look at the climb distances, the percentages, everything. So, I mean, that's a really handy tool to use. Uh, actually, the finished climb of the stage we're talking about, the 5K climb, it's not on Google Street View, so that tells you how, how many people <laughs> normally go up there, not many. So I'm expecting probably a Spanish goat track type narrow road, probably. Well, Google Maps didn't bother driving up it, so <laughs> uh, we'll see how that is. But, uh, yeah, so we still get good knowledge of the courses, but we haven't seen them in person. As as a climber yourself, and you've been very successful over your career, in terms of visualisation, like you said, there's, like, lots of tools out there now to to really do your homework. And offline we were having a chat about doing your homework. Um, you obviously still go into so much detail. You're a professional athlete. But personally, how much of a difference does it make to go and ride the climb physically? Yeah, I think it can definitely make a difference to go and see the climb in person because sometimes you can look at it on a Velovira or, or see parts of it and you don't really get a good feel of what it's like. So even just to go and, and ride a climb and then you see, okay, this is how it feels here and this is the steepest part. This is where Hanamik, for example, will attack or, um, you know, this is a market where it's 3k to the top and just little cues like that that you can sort of remember in the race so i think it can be really helpful on the other hand like we don't have a chance to do that for every stage and especially in the tours you just don't have the time or the availability to go and see the courses so you have to also become comfortable with seeing it online and and 
reviewing in that way and know what's coming up. So it's definitely a big part of our job that, I mean, years ago we didn't have access to Veloviewer or things like that. We were just looking on the race Bible and well, this mm-hmm. is the corners and, you know, there's fake uh, or when the Giro used to put out those famous race profiles. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's flat today. Where like a, a flat <laughs> stage and then you had like surprise 20% climbs. Like at least we're past those days where we can confirm there's none of those apart from the, the minor tunnel that they accidentally, they can't cope with on Bellevue and the tunnel comes out as a 20% climb. But for the most part, like we can we can do that. And, for example, before the Vuelta, I have looked quite closely in terms of like what the stages are, what are the demands, um, where to, yeah, where can I save energy uh, and, you know, what's really going to make the difference. So for sure, like we look at that and even before the race, we, we have sort of an overview of these are the stages and these are our goals and then we move on from there and then each day we individually look at the courses again. So there's always that refresher. But, yeah, we've sort of had to become comfortable with not always getting the chance to go and ride, ride the climbs in person. I think stage six looks like my favorite of all of them. 106k, but there's two category two climbs in the back end that I feel like this one is going to be super fast and really exciting, especially if there's some GC gaps after stage five. I think this one looks really cool. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's quite technical and quite, I think we start along the coast and sort of a road that's quite twisty as well before always sort of hit those climbs and in that region there's a lot of technical roads and downhills and it does look like it's going to be a busy course um and it's interesting because the last stage is so hard so we'll probably have the gc gaps after stage five and it'll be interesting for me this looks like a potentially breakaway day where Mm -hmm. people who have lost time or deliberately lost time or their Mm -hmm. legs didn't allow them to go faster then this could be a good chance for the breakaway um i think it would have to be a strong breakaway given the climbs as well so uh, yeah I think it's sort of a hard one to control if something dangerous goes up the road so it could be an opportunity but otherwise I think it's a really good um, stage for a breakaway. And if anybody is interested in history and cheese uh, Dane Cash wrote a little preview about the town where this where this stage starts he got very excited when he was looking at the map and was very very excited to write a little bit of historical fun facts so that's available on escapecollective.cc <laughs> if anybody's interested in reading that reading a preview that isn't just that's good. courses and... i was i was planning on going cheese shopping during the water so i'll keep that in mind thanks <laughs> i feel like spain you don't really you, you don't think like oh yeah spain, cheese. no well uh, yeah I was going to say if it was like closer to the French reason, I would read, you know, think of cheese all the time. It's pretty close to but, France. But um, they do like that. Yeah. So that kind of explains that the influence mm. is like ripped <laughs> down. Yeah. Do you ever go shopping while you're at the tours? Do you ever think like, oh, man, I rode by this really great dress shop <laughs> on the way to the finish. <laughs> um, the d- dress shop. We need to get to know each other. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We are, well, we did do like, you know, we're, we're at this team's time trial hotel now and we're next to a shopping mall. So we did a little group adventure to the supermarket. It's always exciting to go to a supermarket in a foreign country. So, I mean, it's about as um, adventurous as we've been so far. Other than that, normally we see great shops and that will probably never happen. Those so thoughts, Abby, only come into the minds of people who are maybe in Gruppetto, <laughs> but they're perhaps so sad at the situation that they're not <laughs> thinking about. <laughs> 
I remember that I, I can't remember what race it was that I was doing. I think it was one of the one of the classics and we rode by like a hair salon and I was like, oh man, they have the shampoo I like. And so when the race was over and we were staying like nearby because there was another race on the Wednesday, I like went over to the hair. I went, I think the next day on an easy ride, I rode to the hair salon and I bought my favorite shampoo. <clears throat> <laughs> Love <That's> it. Hilarious. <laughs> but I, yeah, that's no need to go into why I was able to look at <laughs> the shampoo in the shop window. <laughs> All right. So stage seven is definitely the, the hardest stage. This one has... 1750 meters of elevation gain over two climbs both of them are 12 kilometers ish long the final climb has points of 20 percent so it is it's a beast <laughs> and this is definitely going to be i mean it's the last stage of the race so obviously the gc is decided on this day but it's like really decided on this day and as we said earlier this is a stage that on van vluten will have She'll be licking your lips over this one. And I think that this is the one where we're going to see some really exciting racing going into the climb, hopefully, because we've got a, the, the category two that's like midway through the stage could definitely be a, be a climb where Van Vluten launches. Like we remember last year at the tour, she, that one stage with the two big climbs, she went off the front pretty early in the, in the race and it was just kind of her and Demi. So I feel like this one, is going to be maybe like a slow motion battle to the finish. Yeah, for sure. It's the queen stage and everything's going to come down to this. I agree with the first 12K climb. It's And it's even, I think, dragging a bit before that. So I think it ends up being a few more kilometers than that. But I think that's already going to split the field apart. And yeah, I wouldn't put it past Anna to already attack on that, depending how much time she might have to make up or... It's actually interesting throughout the whole Vuelta in intermediate sprints at six, four, and two seconds for every intermediate sprint, which is a lot of time that um, people yeah. can actually make up. Um, normally it's only three, two, and one seconds, so a bit less relevant. But, I mean, if someone's going for those sprints in every day, that's a lot of time you can get up. But the Lagos to Covadonga climb, the last climb of the tour, is a brutal one. So I think in the end, yeah, those seconds will probably fall away again. But I think, yeah, it's going to be whoever's left standing at the top of the that and we don't often race up the climb this hard I think I think I read today it's it's been in the men's photo maybe 20 times or even more I think so really famous climb for the men but it's the first time that we've been able to race up here so I think for us it's also really exciting that we can we've finished well maybe for us I'm talking as a climber I'm very excited to finish up here some of my teammates would beg to differ <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I hope I'm going to be enjoying it somehow I think I read an article um, in Dutch with with Anna Meek in one of the Dutch newspapers, and I think you know her fan base and just the Dutch fans in general that love women's cycling and men's cycling are just so excited about it because it's so iconic for the men that it's like it's a stage that they've watched so many times. Like when I think Roglic won in it was a really great stage in maybe twenty twenty one, I think, or twenty twenty. Mm the Vuelta to now watch the women take that on and then later, you know, in the Tour de France, you're going to take on the Tourmalet. So from a viewer's point yeah. of view, it's, it's what we've kind of been waiting for. And I think maybe people even more in, uh, feeling a bit more enthused because of also how Anamique has been performing in the spring. Um, there's always that little bit of hope that are, people are thinking maybe 
the battle's going to be a bit closer. She's not just going to ride away at the start of the climb before the the finishing climb, if that makes sense. I don't know. It is anime, but um, do you feel yeah. like it's a bit I mean, more level playing field in a sense, or is that just... Yeah, I mean, I think the classics have already pro proven that. And even Valencia, we had the tour before them. And I think, yeah, it's definitely leveled out. And I think Animic realizes that too. That I think before we could get to any climb that was sort of more than three minutes and she could get on the front and put the power down and by the top no one's left. Whereas now she does that and, and people are people are still on the wheel. And I think that's just been a natural evolution as well of, of women's cycling and professionalism. And Animic was always doing altitude camps for years and years and years or many more years. And now in the last few years you see everyone before the tour was going and doing that altitude block, um, training differently, training more hours. So in general, the strength is getting greater and the gap's definitely closing to Anamique. And I think you saw in the classics already, like, yeah, she hasn't had a win this season, which is sort of hasn't happened in the last years. But as I said before, I'd never write her off and I fully expect her to be on, on top form. Um, Movistar, Spanish team, I'm sure they really want to get a result. I think the um, team manager was quite open as well. I saw on Twitter about that they had actually quite a disappointing spring for what they were expecting. So I'm sure they're wanting to turn that around as well. And I know she'll be motivated and, and she loves racing in Spain. Um, yeah, if no one can suffer like Anamit can suffer. So she, if she gets a sniff of being able to get away, then, then she'll be there and she'll be doing it. So I, yeah, I really expect her to be one of the top contenders. I guess that's a, a good segue, huh? Top contenders. It's a great segue. And I was going to segue straight into <laughs> one of my favorite contenders that's actually Anamik's teammate that I think will be really interesting to watch because Liana Lippert came into the Ardennes just flying. I mean, her ride at La Flèche Wallonne, I think, was under underrated as one of the best performances on the day obviously she went into the base of the climb with a little bit of a gap to Demi and she made it up on the climb so I think it's really interesting for me looking at Movistar's ambitions for this race and also their roster that they've got some of they've got pretty much all of their top riders coming to this race but there's there's a little bit of inter-team rivalry that I don't think Anamik ever expected to have in her career where Lippert for me, is a better pick going into this race as their as their GC rider. I mean, Gracie talked a little bit on the Liege Bass on Liege pod about how Anamique just always thinks, okay, I'm suffering, but I can suffer harder than everyone else. And usually it pays off for her, but she was probably thinking the same thing over the over the Ardennes and it didn't pay off and Lippert finished with better results. So this is such an interesting dynamic going into the race that I, I don't think Van Vluten ever could have foretold. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think Lippert's been impressive the whole spring. I think, I don't, she hasn't had a win, has she? But I think like her form definitely has been deserving of that win. She just hasn't been able to pull it off because Demi Vollering was an absolutely flying form, especially in, in flesh. But I feel like, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree that Liana's been going really well. And I feel like also in Liège, she was probably a stronger bet in Liège than Anamik in the end, especially on those climbs. I think where the question will come is just how she's coping on those longer climbs, um, like the Covadonga climb. We have multiple 10, 12-kilometre climbs. So I think that will be interesting to see how they play that game. Um, and I think we did see in the end Anamik was quite honest, especially in Amsterdam, the flesh that she wasn't feeling as good. And she did actually ride for Liana in those two. Maybe we didn't see that in Liège, but sort of be in, yeah, interesting for me as well to observe how that's going to play out on the road. Yeah, I mean, like you said at the start, Spratty, the, the tours are a completely different beast to 
to the classics and it, it's just going to be interesting to see how people show up actually because you, you just can't know people are in good form but having that short two to five minute effort is something completely different to racing up a 16 kilometer climb um and that that's also an interesting question like demi is incredible in incredible form and did i read it correctly that anna is now one of her coaches yeah so exactly the, yeah so i mean or something exactly I think, I mean, coming second at the Tour de France from last year, I'm, she has the makings to become a fantastic, like, Grand Tour rider. Do you see her actually as your ma major contender? Because we haven't gotten into it, but you're one of the big contenders, I feel, as well for for these tours that are coming up. So <laughs> she's been around long enough. She can, she can handle it. <laughs> Um, oh God! I just started. I just started sweating. No, I'm joking. Um, no, I think I think for sure Demi Vollering is. I mean, she's one of the top favorites, definitely. I think she's in incredible form. What she's done, she's really stepped up this year. And the way it's interesting, I think she puts a lot of pressure on herself as well. Like it's interesting to see all the emotion after each um, each of the races where she does go well. There's always a lot of emotion, and I feel like she does put a lot of pressure on herself and. I think she's also said that as well. Like I was so nervous mm. before Liège, for example, I really wanted to win. So I think she has that pressure, but I think she's also proved that she can perform under that pressure as well. <laughs> With her track record this year, it's very impressive. I think she's been on the podium in every race she started except one. So I think, yeah, she, she's a top contender. They have, they have a strong team. They know how to win. Anna's dear as their sports director. So I think, yeah, she's going to be probably, I think she'll have the biggest target on her back, um, mm -hmm. Damie and I'll, um, and then Anamique as well, naturally, just because of her, you know, what we know that she can all, what we know she can do. I'm also so excited about Neve Fisher-Black. Um, she's not raced a ton yet this year, but she was, she's just consistently been getting better and better and better every season. And like looking over her stats, she's won five Best Young Riders jerseys since she joined SD Works. And I feel like she's been on the team long enough now and been and performed enough now that she deserves like a little bit of freedom in terms of chasing her own results. So I feel like there's and there's a possibility we could end this race with two SD Works riders on the GC podium with those two. Yeah, and I, I read the the team preview. They they did name Damie and Neve both as being their GC leaders here, which I think I mentioned earlier is really nice to see. And, and especially in Liège, you saw her really being able to stay there with the top climbers when things sort of started splitting on La Redoute and and in the final there. Um, before the very final climb, she did a big pull for Damie, so that's probably why she wasn't in that group there. But I think for sure she's just building and building, so I think she'll be a top contender too. And especially with the longer climbs, like riders like Fisher Black are going to be better on those longer climbs. And also, obviously, your teammate Guy Riolini is going to be, for those climbs, she's going to be, I think, one of the best. I mean, we saw her put in an incredible ride at the UAE Tour for Eliza, and that was when she was – that was her first – race with the team I'm pretty sure so it was our first world to a race for sure with the team and so she would have been kind of automatically set as a domestique for Elisa but with that performance I think she's kind mm. of shown that she's she is capable of taking leadership on climbs like that so I feel like the two of you are really interesting for me going into these longer climbs and obviously you've been building back into form as well and so this is kind of a huge opportunity for, for Trek to have some 
climbing success that they've not really had before as a team. They've never really had like pure climbers built into the roster. Yeah, no, I think it's really exciting. And I think Gaia's been um, really impressive this year. And, and for the listeners who might not know, I think this is the first year that she's actually raced outside of Italy. So she's really wow. extremely raw. Like, I think she raced Strada Bianca once, Binder once, and she's obviously done the Giro a few times. That's where she was sort of noticed by the team. So, I mean, her rate of progression and improvement has just been incredible. Um, and even, for example, in Flesh Alone, we, we named her as the leader and all of a sudden she has Lizzie Dykeman is in charge of like shepherding her around the bunch. And I think, you know, the, <laughs> it's pretty special for her. And I think just the way she was able to cope with that, that pressure and still perform at the end already says a lot about what her future is going to look like. Um, I think the team are not trying not to put too much pressure on her um, in, in her first year, um, sort of a really, they know how good she can be long-term as well, but for sure, when we mention the 20% pinches on that final climb, her eyes light up and <laughs> we know that's going to be a big, big one for her. Um, it's obviously a real shame for us that Elisa Longo-Borghini um, fell ill in the last week, so she's had to, to pull out. But I, I think, yeah, between me and Guy, we have two good options for the, for the GC and we've raced together, I think, in every race so far. We worked really well together in Valencia Tour as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's exciting to, to race alongside her and I think... For sure, we want to have a, a good GC result. Um, and, yeah, as you said, the team, they did sign more climbers, so there's probably a little bit more pressure in the climbing races, but I think it's exciting. And, and I think the two of us suit us, um, Guy and I, a little bit more than the one-day races at the moment too. Yeah, I mean, they had to kind of pick up more climbers with the races that are coming onto the calendar. Obviously, we've got, like we said, we've got way more tours coming onto the calendar, and the tours are getting harder and harder in the mountains. So it, it was a good shout for them, but one of the best teams in the world. So obviously they saw that. They were like, yeah, we should probably find Yeah, obviously. <laughs> they need cool people. <laughs> um, speaking of climbers found, I another rider that I'm super excited to see how she does is Veronica Ewers. Obviously she came onto the scene at the Tour de France Femme last year, just incredibly strong. And she's been really vocal about the pressure that that has kind of led to for her for her her own pressure she's putting on herself but also from the outside and I think she's had kind of a she's not super happy about the spring that she's had but she's still had some interesting results and I think like for a race like this especially with the climbs I'm excited to see how she does I I feel like she's going to be up there she's certainly like I was thinking about this before I had a list of writers she is an interesting writer who has a lot of potential um I don't know how quickly you can turn things around, though, because for, for her results this spring, they just, like she said, they haven't been that impressive and the spring just ended. I don't know if it's enough time to go, now I'm going to perform. Again, we, we've we've said they're very different races, but I don't know. That's just my opinion. I hope that she, she has a good tour and maybe this will be her opportunity to build into these races um she could be a rider that looks for an opportunity who doesn't necessarily become one of the major gc contenders but has a potential to go like spratty said in one of those stages was it stage five um yeah, stage five stage six yeah yeah a strong yeah. rider who can go on the move can climb really well but at the end of the day isn't quite there at the moment i would put like five riders into that into that category I, I like when I broke up the preview in terms of riders to watch I did GC contenders sprinters and and others and I feel like for me there's a bunch of other riders that 
I don't see as GC contenders, but they might be GC contenders, but they're also just interesting riders for the course. Like Juliette Labou, for example, won Burgos last year, so she's she has that potential, but also I just don't know how she's riding at the moment, so I'm interested to see how she does. Also, um, Mavi Garcia, obviously an incredible climber, but we saw her fall apart on the final stages of the Giro last year after putting in some incredible performances. Paulina Rurikis, also like incredible climber, but really struggles on the descent. So if there's tricky descents in there, then maybe she'll have a really great performance on the seventh stage, but can she make it there with the top contenders? Like there's a bunch of riders that I would put into that category that I think could finish in the high, high on the GC, but also have some very clear obstacles in order to get there. Do you know which ride I'm excited to see how she does in in a hard tour like this? Is Rihanna Marcus? Oh my She's God, had such too. an incredible. I just saw she was racing and spring I'm like, so far. Going like this. <laughs> yeah, and you know, like um, Marlon Rusa, who has been climbing incredibly lately. Um, I mean. They're not going to be GC contenders, but I feel like uh, there are some stages there where they could potentially be in the mix for the win. I mean, Russo has, has proven herself time and time, but um, Marcus, I, I just really like her as a rider and as a person. So I I had her down as, as one of those riders to just watch for a performance. And I think um, she's actually said as well that she has been targeting the Volta. And so she was at altitude prior to Ardennes and the, the vault has always been a goal for her. So, yeah, I was mm-hmm. really impressed actually at, at Liège to see how she was climbing. I think she's definitely taken a step up and just also is that sort of time trial. We know how strong she is in the time trial and now she's also climbing well and certainly being able to sustain that long power for a long period mm-hmm. of time. I think I wouldn't be surprised to see her take a really big step up here at the Volta. All right. So we've been through the stages, we've been through riders to watch. There's definitely other riders that kind of fall into into the category of stage hunters, but I think we should ask some questions because otherwise we're going to run out of time. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, the first question and the most important is what do I expect out of season two of the Rings of Power? I don't expect too much out of that one. Um that yeah i i'm hopeful that they're gonna turn it around but i'm also very wary and i don't have as much excitement going into season two as i did for season one that's the most important question we've got it out of the way so <laughs> our movistar <laughs> we kind of talked about this already our movistar all in for anamik or they give lippert some gc leeway as well we went over that um if and when Annemiek van Vluten comes good, how much is that going to hurt the Peloton's ability to rein in SC Works? Um, she's not able to like fly off the front anymore. Uh, has, will Movistar play a big role in trying to limit SC Works? But if she becomes fully operational again, is the rest of the Peloton on its own? I think... Like, we talked about this one a little bit already, but when it comes to, like, Anamik versus SD Works, I feel like um, there's... This is a really interesting one because I don't think it's just the two of them in this race. I think, like we said, there's a lot more contenders that are going to surprise us. So I feel like while they... Volering and Anamik might be the top contenders, there's, like, plenty of opportunities for other people to kind of throw a wrench in those two 
favorites being kind of a step above everyone else. Yeah, I think so. And I think certainly the classics has given a lot of confidence to different teams and writers of, of what what they can do. Obviously, SD Works has been dominating, but Anamik's not been up there winning every race. So she's not you know, seen as this superhuman person that no one can get near either. Um, and I, I think teams are starting to realise that also with SD Works, with the dominance they, they have, it's not... For example, in Liège, when Marlon Russo had, I think, almost two minutes, and I'm sure a lot of people were thinking, okay, this is another game where and Marlon's going to take the win. But I was really proud, for example, of our team that we were able to chase that back and then change the shape of the race. So I think that teams are realising that, yeah, maybe one team seems dominant, but it doesn't mean that that's the way it has to play out that overall. So I really think there are a lot of strong teams with numbers. The move you guys did at Liège was one of my favourite moves of the spring. I thought it was just like... Just beautiful yeah. watch. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It was very painful to enact, but um, <laughs> we were very, we were, we were very excited after it. Yeah, just I think, yeah, we were really proud of the way we raced that final, and just after the spring, where you know we've had so many situations where there've been riders away and no one really wants to chase, or riders are just like attacking with numbers. It was just nice to put it and say, yeah, let's just do this and see what happens. I think everybody and, watching was like, and we knew Elisa had good legs, so. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna edit this question a little bit because they threw Se- Trek Segafredo in here, but we already know that you guys have some pretty clear GC ambitions. So if you're the director of Kane Stram, are you going for the GC or are you stage hunting? And I think this is a super interesting question because Canyon Stram has kind of struggled. I mean, not just this year, but years in the past as well, to put together the talent that they have for a result. And I think for, they have a new director. I didn't mention this actually before, but I meant to, that Magnus Backstead came on as a director and I'm curious to see how he's able to translate their power into results. Um, I think like having a fresh set of eyes on the team and directing the team might make a huge difference for them. So I'm curious to see how that goes. I don't know if he's at the Vuelta, but that that's something that I, I think we should have mentioned in the classics episodes. Um, for Canyon Stram going into this race, I feel like they have a really good stage hunting team with the, some backseat GC ambition. Like I'm looking at stage five as mm-hmm. a Kasha stage, for example, or stage, stage four. And I feel like that... For me, if I was the Canyon Stram director, I would maybe be more interested in hunting for stages. What do you guys think? I think Shabby's been impressive this spring. Correct me if I'm wrong. 100%. She's been super she's been strong. Super she's yeah. she's just always she's there. And for me personally, I feel like Kasia just hasn't had that real pop this year. Um, not so much as years previously. So she's almost, as much as I like her as a writer, not on my radar as much. I don't know if that's harsh, but I think they've just got some really interesting options in terms of, of young writers. And I think when you, you've got us to pick writers, um, writers to watch, like Ricarda um, Bornfeind from, from Germany, she's a really interesting writer. They've, they've got a young team by the looks of it. Um, which actually it seems like most of their writers are young writers. So I would look more to to the other writers of Canyon Tram. But that, that's just my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think stage hunting looks more obvious when you look at their roster. The only thing maybe they they still 
Like, I don't think they're a top favourite to win the GC, but they're definitely still in there with a fight. Like you said, Chabi's been going really well, so I think a podium would be in reach for them. So whether they have that in the back of their mind um, and look in the last sort of couple of stages if that becomes an option and they're stage hunting before and save her a little bit, that could be a w- way that they go or even just, I don't know how many times, for example, Elise has been a, a GC leader. So maybe they do say to her or to a rider, okay, this is an opportunity to be a GC leader and we know that normally the first tour you go to as a GC leader, there's, you know, there's, there's more pressure, there's that leadership responsibility. Maybe it's something that they want a rider to experience and have that pressure perhaps before the Giro or before the Tour de France, depending what the goals are. So sometimes teams can also use that approach just to give the rider the experience too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, let's give our final question and then we'll wrap up the episode. This one was specifically for Spratty. Um, women in various podcasts have discussed in the past a disconnect between different generations coming into the Peloton. For example, Zoe Backstead was shocked that women of previous eras were riding for no salary. It seems, thankfully, that fewer and fewer women have to put up with making no money when they get into cycling, but is there a pitfall or downside to newer riders coming in and not understanding or appreciating the sacrifices and difficulties of the women who came before them? Are those sacrifices and the fighting that has gone on to improve things appreciated by the younger generation? Ooh. It's a big question. What a question. Oh, yeah, no, thanks for thanks for directing that specifically to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it's an interesting one. It's, um, we've, it's funny on Trek because we have, like, the old crew. So, like, Lizzie and Lucinda and me and... Ellen and you know, sometimes we reminisce about going to tours or like squashed into a transit van and driving everywhere and you know not staying in hotels overnight because it was too expensive and driving through the night and just having one bike you didn't have a race bike you you know so this is sort of 15 years ago even 10 years ago even less even um and the rate of progression has just been so huge um so I think yeah, I think that the younger riders can appreciate. I mean, sometimes we're telling these stories and they're just blank-faced and have no idea what we're talking about and can't imagine it. Um, but I don't think it's that they, they don't appreciate what's happened. I think they can reflect on it and see, okay, it's come a long way. And I know for the young riders on our team, they just think like, wow, it's pretty lucky that we can come in here and we get this salary and we're not having to work another job or, or stress so much around the financial situation. I'm really well-supported. So I think for them it's just being grateful that they're, in that position I mean you know they have no idea what it was like how hard it was for us and like they should be more grateful and but I mean they're just really lucky that they're coming in at a great time um yeah it's it's just their luck really I mean I wish I'd been coming through now and been in these good conditions and making the money you know all the way through but that's just maybe they can't really realize exactly how it was for us but I think they're certainly like feeling grateful that they're well supported like this i mean i feel like we should also mention that it's it's only the top teams that are experiencing this because obviously like the story you just told is a story that i also heard from a zap writer last week um so there's still like (laughs) yeah that's crazy for those riders coming into the sport to experience some really just abysmal treatment um for sure yeah that's really sad but there, there are certainly still teams back in, in that um yeah that, that are like that and that, that's really sad to hear and i really wish that the uci would take more of a stand on that and not allow teams like that to exist so 
I mean, yeah, the whole Zaf situation has just been terrible to, to hear about. And I can't imagine what some of those riders are going through now. Oh, man. I read yesterday that some of them are being, like, barred by the Spanish Federation from racing the Vuelta that have signed for new teams, which is just absolutely wild. I mean, that's like, come on, UCI. Like, mm. you guys all asleep over there? Yeah. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, no, they're, they're solving the big problems like, like Sokat. So <laughs> can't complain, please. <laughs> uh, hopefully my sarcasm comes across on the podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, that was our final question for, for Spratty. And we're super grateful that you took the time to be on the podcast with us. It's just really awesome to get your insight, especially as you're going to go execute the plans that we talked about today. Um, hopefully next week. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Good team talk. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, do you have anything else or should we wrap it up? What's, uh, what's that question you asked us at the end of every oh, podcast yeah. now? What have you guys been obsessed with this week? I want to hear what Spratty's obsessed with at Me the moment. Too. Oh, it's too embarrassing. I'm just, I'm just stuck, you know, on Instagram, the Instagram reels and you like watch one and then all of a sudden you get more of them. <laughs> um, yeah, I've and my mum started sending me like those cat reels on Instagram, so it's quite embarrassing. But you know, you just waste time. I'm at a race, you just start scrolling, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, podcast audience, that was embarrassing. I've just embarrassed myself. I feel like it's, it's anyway. very human. I feel it's like yeah, quite normal to get sucked into Instagram I'm sorry. reels. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm I'm sh- I'm definitely more intellectual than that. Next time I'll reel off some book that I'm reading. That's amazing. Sorry. Anyway, Lauren, Lauren, on to you. <laughs> oh, what am I obsessed with at the moment? I always find this so difficult. I don't know. I feel like I have to come up with something exciting, otherwise I come across as the boring person I actually am now at this point in my life. Um, I finished Working Moms, which was really disappointing because, like Matt Denise said, it just went downhill. Really sad with the direction of the show, but that was fun while it lasted. I'm obsessed with garden furniture because we're building a house and finally we're at the point where I can visualise what my house looks like and the sun has finally come out in Belgium. I'm wearing a T-shirt today and I'm actually just a bit obsessed about, yeah, buying stuff to sit outdoors and lounge in the sun in because I'm so white. It's ridiculous. Mm. Lauren, I love that for you. I'm, I'm no I'm longer Australian. Australian. I can appreciate that. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Uh, um, I'm obsessed with so for those who don't know I have another podcast called The Album Files which is about music and Ian Trelor it's like a book club but for albums and so we kind of go in a circle and pick an album and then we listen to it and come back and discuss it and it's with Matt Deneve and Ian Trelor and Ian Trelor picked our last album and it's um, The Midnight Organ Fight by Frightened Rabbit And it's been like three weeks since his pick and I have not stopped listening to that album. It's so good. And so um, I'm obsessed with this album. It's like, it's amazing. I I just, I've been running to it. I've been riding my bike to it. Been listening to it all the time. It's just like really, really good. So I'm obsessed with Frightened Rabbit. I'm late to the party, but that is my obsession. That's okay. I'm late to everything. Yeah. You should put it in the show notes. Slightly more quality. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it. Thank you so much, Amanda, for coming on the podcast and good luck this week. We will be cheering you on. Good luck, Spreading. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 
I always get, Dane gets like so annoyed with me when I call her Spratty because he's like, you're not Australian. And I'm like, but that's her nickname. No, no one even knows who Amanda is. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've had this battle with my team recently. Like I get called Amanda and I'm like, oh, my eyes are I'm just like, I don't answer to Amanda, please. Like I honestly, I should just change my name to Spratty Sprat. It'll just put the confusion away, <laughs> take the confusion out of it. Well, I'm really glad that that's cleared up for me. I'm gonna call you Spratty because that's what feels comfortable. Because that's what Thank Lauren you. and Gracie always good, call good. you on the podcast, and I feel like it just makes more sense. Good, good. I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs>